Hey, Diggs, welcome to Dennis in the Know, your backstage pass to current trends, politics, and education in the dental world. We are dentistry source for honest, relevant information. And with that in mind, this is JB's News on the Go with Dennis in the Know. So introducing to you with all the relevant information, Dr. Jennifer Bell. Let's get right to the news and dig in a little bit on what's happening. First, we reported a few uh, weeks ago, actually it's been almost a month now, about the FTC's uh, look into non-compete clauses. There's a big push right now for um, for them to remove a lot of the non-competes for employees. So certainly that directly impacts dentistry because as many of you know, most dentists, if they're in group practices, associateships, um, or even in certain types of partnerships, we operate well within non-compete clauses uh, for our practices. So they're looking at eliminating those altogether. The deadline was supposed to be very soon, actually this week. That's now been extended out to April 19th. So we have a little bit more time now for open comment period. That's for any individuals or organizations to gather their comments and thoughts pro or against the proposed uh, regulations to change non-competes and what impact economically that might lend towards both small and large businesses. So we'll continue to watch that very closely. The University of Alabama has released the first national dental implant registry. I thought this was very interesting. I've always been a huge advocate of the fact that I feel like we should have a place where we could register the implants that we place on patients so that other dentists could go and search that information. How many times have you had a patient show up who had an implant that you couldn't identify? Patient got it 15 years ago. That doctor is either no longer in business or that records aren't accessible anymore. And we have to go through an arduous process of finding that out. That's not the sole purpose of this database. They're actually starting to try to track trends successes and failures within the implant dentistry world. So they've solicited a handful of patients, actually several thousand now, to participate in the database so that they can track the outcomes, both looking from a prosthetic and biologic uh, success and failure so that they can start to build a database. Um, You know, there's a lot of pressure actually coming from the FDA looking at implant dentistry um, and failure rates within uh, dental implants. So we're starting to build some, some actual scientific data, um, hopefully in an unbiased capacity so that we can make some decisions, maybe hopefully start driving decisions for consumers as they receive implant dentistry. So that's happening out of uh, UAB. So I thought that was interesting. The uh, United States Air Force has applied for a self-healing dental composite patent Uh, I know there's a ton of buzz in the composite world about uh, regenerative materials, biocompatible materials, biomimetic materials, but the U.S. Air Force has just applied for a patent for a self-healing composite as well. So we will certainly watch that very closely. We're in the very early stages. Uh, Now the investigatory part will take place, but definitely an interesting submission from the United States government military. And now 
an interesting turn of events in Maryland where they have proposed legislation that children will be required at certain stages within their educational uh, journey to complete dental examinations. This has not been approved legislation, but there is new proposed legislation coming out of the state of Maryland looking at requiring dental examinations um, prior to certain entry phases within um, the education system. I would assume it looks very similar to the vaccination requirements, which happen often at the elementary school age, again, at middle and high school entry points to check for those continued vaccinations. Looks like they want dental to be included with that as well. JAMA came out with an interesting uh, article on high fluoride-based toothpaste. Uh, the 1.1%, the, the roughly 5,000 of 5,500 parts per million on the fluoride. We know them well. We probably have all prescribed them in our practices, but they're starting to want to ask for more scientific data on the actual effectiveness of using these products in our high-risk patients. So there's been a lot of data so far on the efficacy of using these products, but not as much on the effectiveness. So I think there's some call to action from this article to want to start to gather more scientific data on whether or not these prescription-based toothpastes are actually remineralizing um, decayed lesions and preventing new lesions from developing to help justify and create parameters for prescription for those products. And they did highlight specifically that the use of those products as prescribed and also as written on the instructions was a key critical element to those being successful with the products. And if any of you have had experience with that in your own practice, you'll know that most patients don't often comply with the instructions listed on the box of any medication that they're given. Lastly, HPI came out with their updated statistics for February. We've always been watching that very closely. It's a great pulse check on what's happening on the ground. I know many of us already have our own assessments of what's happening in our daily practice operations, but the HPI either validates or creates a, a bit of a rift if that's not actually how you're practicing. But it was interesting to note that most clinicians now cite having left networks, which I think has been the first flip of that switch where most doctors have indicated that they have left networks within the last 12 months. And it also seems that staffing continues to be one of the largest re reasons why offices are not operating at full capacity. While they have rebounded back up to about 85% of occupancy levels, which is well over the 75 plus range that we saw about a year ago, uh, they haven't reached back to full capacity yet. And most site staffing issues, and late cancellations and no-shows from patients being the highest two reasons why they are not operate, op, operating fully. And with that, my stumbling at the end, that's the news. And that wraps up another podcast for Dentists in the Know. On behalf of Dr. Jennifer Bell, Dr. Chad Duplantis, and myself, remember that we've got a great profession, so let's make it a great day, dinks.